We're dealing in the message this evening with uh, the testimony of Joel. I've given the message a title, and the title is Speaking for God in Times of National Crisis. And I believe that that title sums up for us uh, very clearly, very aptly, uh, the ministry of Joel. Let me point out to you that the prophet Joel is described by some Bible teachers as the anonymous prophet. The reason for that is this, that very little is known about his background. The Bible doesn't tell us where he was born. It doesn't tell us who his parents were. It doesn't tell us what rank or occupation uh, that he held. There are very few personal details that are recorded in the scriptures about his life. But in the three chapters of his prophecy, there are many references to Jerusalem, to Zion, to Judah, to the temple, to the priests, all of which would suggest to us that his home was in Jerusalem or certainly very near uh, to the great city of uh, Jerusalem. In addition to the few recorded details of his life, there are differing views about the time in which he ministered, uh, the time in which he lived. There are two main views on that question, on that subject. Some say that he prophesied in the days of King Uzziah. Others suggest that it was earlier, uh, whenever Joash was still uh, a young man and guided by Jehoiada uh, the priest. But whichever was the case, it is true, it certainly is true, that Joel was one of the earliest of the minor prophets. He ministered approximately 800 uh, BC. Uh, That was even before uh, the days of the great prophet uh, Isaiah. And the fact that he's quoted uh, by Isaiah and also by Amos would strongly indicate uh, that fact uh, for us. That's a very interesting study, looking at where Joel is quoted in other parts of the Bible, and I would commend that study uh, to you. But I want to stress this fact to you this evening, men and women, that even though we do not know much about the man who ministered, and we cannot be sure about when he ministered, this much is certain. He has told us very clearly about the times, the days in which uh, he ministered. And they were days of crisis in the nation. They were days of national calamity. It was not a calamity caused by a virus or a pestilence, as the Bible describes such catastrophes. But the nation at that time was being ravaged by insects. Uh, Four especially are recorded or listed. They're found in chapter 1, verse 4. They were the palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm, and the caterpillar. It's interesting, I'll just point out to you, some students of prophecy uh, suggest that those four insects refer to, or they're a a picture of the four great coming uh, kingdoms. I just mentioned that to you uh, this evening for your consideration. But the result of the insect invasion was complete devastation of the land. The harvest was lost. 
Joel says that the vine, the corn, the barley were all wasted. In chapter 2, verse 3, he gives us a very graphic description. He says that the land before them is as the Garden of Eden and behind them as a desolate wilderness. So the nation was in crisis. Farmers, agriculture was ruined. The economy had crashed. The people were starving. It's very hard for us to adequately describe the national conditions just at this time. Joel appeals to the old men in chapter 1 verse 2 and he asks them to consider have you or your fathers ever experienced such circumstances before? Also in chapter 2 and verse 2 he declares himself there hath not been ever the like. Isn't that a very interesting statement? Just think of that. Take it in. Joel is living in unprecedented times. The nation has never before faced such extremity. So how relevant, brethren and sisters, is this book and this message uh, for today? We're facing a national calamity. Yea, it would have to be said we're facing an international calamity. The whole earth is in turmoil. The whole earth is uh, facing a serious crisis. Truly, as Joel says, there hath not been ever uh, the like. And let me ask you to consider, what was the answer of the prophet for the nation at such a time? Where did he find help? Where did he find the needed guidance? And the answer, men and women, is in the word of God. Notice how uh, this short prophecy begins. We're told in the very first verse, the word of the Lord came uh, to Joel. Joel was a man of the word. And he had a word for the hour. He had a word for the hour of crisis that the nation was facing. So I want you to think again of the title that we've chosen. Speaking for God in a time of national crisis. So let's consider his message. Let's see what he testified of at this time of national crisis. It will give us help today uh, at this time of pandemic that we're passing through. And in addition to that, it will give us great help for the future uh, also. So I want us to think of some of the great truths uh, that Joel testified that are found uh, in this book. Think first of all of the person of whom he testified. Just think of the name Joel. It's very interesting. The name Joel combines two names of God, the name Jehovah and the name Elohim. And the name means Jehovah is God. It's good to ponder that, good to remember that great truth, especially at a time of crisis. And what that means, brethren and sisters, is this. Every time Joel's name was uttered, the, the people testified to the fact that Jehovah is God. So Joel was truly a Jehovah's witness. In other words, he was a, a person who not just with his lips, but by his life and by his very name, spoke and testified uh, of Jehovah. It's interesting to go through the book and to notice 
the things that are spoken of as being Jehovah's. It's a very profitable study. For example, there's the word of Jehovah, the word of the Lord, in verse 1. There's the day of the Lord, or the day of Jehovah. The first reference to it is in verse 15 of chapter 1. There's the house of the Lord, the ministers, the priests of the Lord. There's also the voice of the Lord. So there's quite a few things that are mentioned as belonging to Jehovah, belonging to the Lord himself. But let me stress just one other to you. And that, brethren and sisters, is the dwelling place of the Lord. Look at the last verse of the book. See how the message, see how the story ends. For the last verse says, The Lord dwelleth in Zion. There's another reference to that same truth just a few verses earlier in chapter 3, verse 17. So I want you to mark it carefully, what he says. Zion is the Lord's dwelling place. And note the context, because just so there's no mistake, and it's not the church that has been spoken of, he tells us in verse 20 that it's Zion and Judah, Zion and Jerusalem. That's where the Lord is dwelling. So here, brethren and sisters, is the great theme of the prophetic scriptures. The Lord dwelling in Zion. You think of Psalm 2. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Think as well of Ezekiel 48, the great Jehovah title at the close of the book. Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. The Lord is in Jerusalem. And Joel finishes his book with the same message, finishes his prophecy with the same truth, Jehovah reigning, dwelling in Zion. So here is a reference to that future time, that future age, when the Savior has come and when he has set up his kingdom upon the earth. So in a day of crisis, Joel finishes the message, he finishes the book with a message of hope. A message of hope for Israel. A message of hope for us that the Lord is coming and he's coming uh, to reign. In the second place, I want you to think of the prayer of which uh, Joel testified. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. So here we find Joel making a heartfelt plea for earnest prayer. And let us ask for a moment, what does the nation need to do at a time of crisis? When the nation is facing ruin and disaster, well, the prophet teaches us clearly, unmistakably, the nation needs uh, to pray. But sadly, tragically, this is something that is greatly lacking in our day, in the crisis through which we're passing. We live in such a godless nation. We live in such a godless land, godless society, that there's no mention, no talk of God. There's no sense of needing God's help, needing God's intervention. Notice carefully that it wasn't just an ordinary or a regular prayer meeting that Joel was pleading for. Let me 
list for you or highlight for you some of the features of the time of prayer that he's appealing to the nation for. If you look at chapter 1, verse 14, it was to be a national prayer meeting, not just local, not just regional. He says, all the inhabitants of the land. The the previous verse, chapter 1, verse 13, it was to be an all-night of prayer. It's nearly unheard of today. He says, lie all night in sackcloth. Look at chapter 1, verse 14. We're told there needed to be prayer and fasting. He said, sanctify a fast. They were to really give themselves uh, to prayer. If you turn over to chapter 2, the 13th verse, there, there was a need for brokenness before God for their sins. He said, rend your hearts and not your garments. They were to do away with formal religion. There needed to be really a pouring out of their heart unto the Lord. Notice chapter 1 verse 14 again. They needed to be fervent in their prayers. Because he says to them that they were to cry unto the Lord. So brethren and sisters, such a prayer meeting, such a time of prayer, this is what is needed uh, today. This is the great need of the hour. This is the only thing that will turn the nation, turn the tide. So I want to, this evening to urge you and urge your church to seek the Lord in this way, in this manner, in these days uh, in which we're found. The third thing I want to highlight of which Joel testified is the period. Let me ta- ask you to note the important phrase uh, that's found in chapter 1, verse 15. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. And let me point out that there are five references in total uh, to that period, uh, the day of the Lord. Five references in total in the three chapters. Remember, this is just a short book, short prophecy. So in the three chapters of the prophecy of Joel, there are five references, almost two in every chapter. So I want to encourage you to look for them. This is the great central theme of the book. It is also a major theme of the whole Bible. I want to encourage you to look for references to the day of the Lord as you read through the scriptures. G. Campbell Morgan The noted Bible teacher, the early part of the 20th century, said it is always the day of the Lord. And there's a sense in which that is true, men and women. Regardless of the events, regardless of the calamities, regardless of what events come on men and on nations, he's in control. He's working out his purposes. But whenever Joel warned about the approach of the day of the Lord, He has three great events in mind or in view. The most immediate is the plague of locusts in the land. They filled the land like the invasion of an army. It was God's judgment on the sinful nation at that time. But then looking a little farther into the future, Joel saw the invasion of Judah by the Assyrian army. The blowing of the trumpet, the sounding of the alarm, 
at the start of chapter 2. That was because of the enemy's approach, the enemy's attack. And that day of the Lord probably took place in the days of uh, King Hezekiah. But let me stress to you that the ultimate fulfillment of the day of the Lord is yet future, even to our day. It is that great and that solemn day when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, returns again. And in every sense, brethren and sisters, in every sense, that will be his day. His day of glory. His day of victory. His day of triumph. Nations will be judged. And Christ, the Messiah of Israel, will set up his kingdom upon the earth. And the reality is that every other day of the Lord in Scripture points to and is a picture and a type of that last, that great day of the Lord. The day of his return. The day of his coronation. The day of his reign upon the earth. Remember John in the Isle of Patmos said that he was in the spirit in the Lord's day. And not only was it the Christian Sabbath, but the Lord carried John forward by the spirit to the end of the age and caused him to see the last great day of the Lord. And remember that the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, is essentially a revelation of the day of the Lord and what that great day uh, is going to be like. So I want to just emphasize, point out to you that the prophecy of Joel needs to be studied in conjunction with the book of the Revelation. The one will help to throw light upon uh, the other. The fourth thing I want to highlight uh, to you uh, this evening as we think of the testimony of the prophet Joel, what he testified of, is the people. Look at the end of verse 26 of chapter 2. It says, My people shall never be ashamed. Notice the words, My people. Can I point out that four times in this short book, the Lord calls Israel, My people. He also calls them, my heritage, in addition, as you think of uh, the word my, he speaks of my land, my silver, my gold, reminding us that everything is the Lord's. But let me focus on my people. Let me remind you uh, tonight, Israel belongs to the Lord. There is a special relationship here that no other nation on the earth can claim. And think of what mercy, think of what grace, think of what love there is here in these words. Because despite their great sins, the Lord has not forsaken Israel. The Lord has not abandoned his people. Remember what Paul said in the Romans? The Lord will not cast away his people. Let me remind you of the words of chapter 2 verse 25. The words we took as our text, they are perhaps the best uh, known words, the best known verse uh, in all of this book. And in that verse there is a promise. It is the promise that I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. And I want to, you to notice especially the words, I will 
restore. And let me make clear that these words apply uh, to Israel. You can claim them uh, personally for your own life, your own circumstances. But first and foremost, the words apply to Israel. And they teach us that there's going to be a restoration uh, for Israel. Let me remind you, Israel has already been restored. They've been restored to the land, to their land. They've been restored as a nation. And the Lord has and is continuing to regather the Jewish people to the land of Israel. As chapter 3 verse 1 says, he's bringing again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. But I want you to see that this book goes much further than that. Because Joel also speaks of Israel's spiritual restoration uh, to the Lord. Look at the final verse of the book again. It speaks of their sins being forgiven. It especially refers to cleansing their blood. If we were to ask this evening, what blood does Israel need to be forgiven for shedding? Well, remember, it's ultimately the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what those Jewish leaders said those many years ago? His blood be upon us and upon our children. So Joel's speaking here of Israel being forgiven of their greatest sin and then being a blessing uh, to the nations. In chapter 3, verse 18, he speaks of a fountain that shall come forth of the house of the Lord. So here is the river flowing from the temple, the same river spoken of by Ezekiel. It's a literal river. It will be in the day of the Lord. But it's also a picture of Israel uh, and the blessing, the refreshing that Israel will bring to the nations uh, during the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice also the results of Israel's future restoration. In chapter 2, at the end of both verses 26 and 27, we're told, And my people shall never be ashamed. Also in chapter 2, verse 19, he declares, I will no more make you a reproach among uh, the heathen. And that is not true uh, today, men and women. Israel is a reproach. They do have much to be ashamed of as a people, as a nation. Just listen to the news and you'll find that that is true. But here we learn that the nation has a great future. The nation, uh, God has great blessings in store for them in coming uh, days. So that's the people of which he testified. In the fifth place, let me highlight the planets of which he testified. Look there, chapter 2, verse uh, 31. It says, The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Look also at chapter 3, verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. If you look at the next verse, verse 16, it mentions the heavens and the earth shall shake. So here, Joel testifies of signs in the heavens. 
I want to make it clear uh, that these are actual, literal events. There will be a darkening of the sun, the moon, and the stars. The prophet is here speaking of supernatural darkness. There are notable examples of similar events in the scriptures. Think of the plague of darkness away back in Egypt in the days of Moses. Think of the darkness that surrounded the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Examples of supernatural darkness. And remember that the Savior himself spoke of these things. In his great uh, prophetic discourse and all of that, he actually repeated what Joel foretold here in these verses. The Savior taught immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall uh, be shaken. So he's teaching. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is teaching that these signs in the heavens will mark the end of the tribulation period and they will indicate that his return is very imminent indeed. Let me point out, give you an example. In the theatre, they dim the lights when the play is about to begin. What that means is that all the focus is then on the stage, especially the one who is on the stage. And in similar fashion, men and women, just before the Saviour returns, the Lord will put out the lights. And remember, all of those things are at his control. And he will put out the lights so that the focus will be upon the stage, the stage at Jerusalem, for the entrance of the Lord Jesus, for his appearance. The Bible says that every eye shall see him. One of the reasons for that is because of the darkness. They will not be able to see anything else. I want to point out there was a great day of the Lord in the times of Joshua. It was the longest day that this world has ever known. It's a, a world record as far as days were concerned. And we're told that on that day Joshua said, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. Heavenly wonders. The Lord controlling the heavenly bodies. And it's a picture, men and women. It's a picture of what the Lord will do at the time of the end. So he testifies of the planets. I want you to see in the sixth place that he testifies of a place. Joel testifies of a very significant place. If you look at chapter 3 verse 2, he says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Mark the name, the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's another name for the Kedron Valley on the east of Jerusalem. It's interesting, some dispensationalists say that the valley of Jehoshaphat is not a literal place, it's, it's symbolic. They say that because they want the last great battle of the age to take place 
in the north of Israel, up there at Megiddo. They do want it to take place at Jerusalem. It doesn't fit into their scheme of things. Let me make clear to you, men and women, Armageddon is not a battle. Armageddon is the gathering place of the armies. The final battle of this age is at Jerusalem. As Joel says, it will be in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Can I point out that this is the only time in Scripture, it's only in the book of Joel that this name is used. That's something that's very significant. And the name means the Lord judges. If you look at chapter 3, verse 12, you have the only other reference to it. And he says there, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. So the Lord judges. And that's what the Lord Jesus will do there. That's what he will do there to Antichrist and to his army. Antichrist's army in chapter 2, verse 20 of this book is called the Northern Army. And the Lord will judge them just outside the great city of Jerusalem. Antichrist's purpose will be to destroy the city, to destroy the nation of Israel. As the psalmist said, to cut them off from being a nation. But the Lord, when he comes with the greatest intervention from heaven the world has ever known, he will come and he will judge Antichrist and his armies there. As Paul said, writing to the Thessalonians, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let me highlight that there is a, another name for this valley in this chapter, chapter 3. It's in verse 14. It's called there the valley of decision. It's the only time that that name is used in all the Bible. I want you to see that by using the name the valley of Jehoshaphat and the name the valley of decision, that the Lord is really emphasizing the significance of this place, the significance of this event, the significance of it, the significance of what he's going to do there. This verse, uh, the verse uh, 14, is often used of the sinner in gospel preaching, of the decision that the sinner must make whenever they hear the gospel message being proclaimed. But that's not the meaning of the verse. In fact, it's far from it. It's the very opposite of the meaning of this verse. The verse is speaking not of man's decision, not of the sinner's decision, but of the Lord's decision or the Lord's decree as it can be viewed. And his decision not to save, but his decision to judge, especially to judge Israel's enemies. So Joel here testifies of the place. The place that the Lord has chosen for his judgment upon Antichrist and the armies of the Roman earth. There's one other thing I'd like to highlight of which Joel testifies. And that is the power. Thinking of the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 2 verse 28. It tells us, And it shall come to pass afterward. Let me ask you to to note, to underline that word afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men 
shall see visions. Joel could be called the prophet that foresaw a Pentecost. But let me make it clear that Pentecost in itself was not the complete fulfillment of this passage. Keep in mind that application is not interpretation. Just because a passage is applied to a time or to an event, even in Scripture, doesn't mean that that was the complete fulfillment of that passage. Because remember, Pentecost was repeated in the home of Cornelius many years later in what is sometimes called the Gentile Pentecost. What Joel is teaching us here is that the outpouring of the Spirit will be one of the marks of the last days. In the Old Testament period, God filled with his Spirit those who were chosen to speak for him, those who were chosen to do a work, a special work for the Lord. But in the last days, and that's the period between the two advents of Christ, in the last days there would be a very significant difference because then every believer could have uh, this blessing of which Joel is speaking. That's what he's testifying about. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter said, whenever he was quoting this passage in Acts chapter 2, he said, in the last days, it shall come to pass in the last days. So that new era, new era of the Spirit, it began at Pentecost. That's really what Peter is teaching on that notable day in the great sermon uh, that he preached. That's why he quoted uh, this passage in the way that he did. Do you remember Moses said uh, to Joshua, uh, Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets? And the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Well, brethren and sisters, that day has now come. And it started at Pentecost. The Lord will now put his spirit upon all of his people. If you will ask him. If you will ask him for it. He says he will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And there is great encouragement for us. In that truth, even at this time, the time in which we live, there's great encouragement for us in that truth as we study future events, the events that will lead up to the coming again of the Saviour. Because what it means is this, brethren and sisters, the Lord has provided the power, the Lord has provided the strength, the endowment to live and to testify for Him, to live and to testify for Him faithfully, powerfully in victory, with authority, even in the very difficult and wicked days of the end time. Let me close just with this thought. We believe the days will darken still further. Paul, writing to Timothy, said that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what I want you to grasp and be encouraged by, I want to finish in this positive and encouraging note for you. I want you to see that you, you can live for God in wicked days. You can bear testimony clearly and powerfully for the Lord, even in evil and dark days, the evil and dark days 
of the end time. Joel did. And Israel and Judah in his day testified for the Lord. We have seen something of that in our study tonight. So did uh, Enoch in very ungodly times. If you read uh, the book of Jude, you'll see how he stresses the ungodliness of the days in which Enoch lived. And even then, even in such times, he walked with God. So I want to encourage you uh, to do the same. Be encouraged by that, that knowledge this evening. To walk with God and testify for him in your own day and in your own generation. So the testimony of Joel. I pray tonight the Lord will bless his word uh, to every heart.